2: a feminist that works for a nonprofit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter.
0: It was smoke. Yeah, well. <laughs>
2: Cody, all good? I got my whiskey. I've got whiskey tonight. See, I'm not drinking a guava beer. You guys gave me such crap about my freaking guava beer last week.
3: That's cause you go from some tea with a honey stick to guava beer
2: and it's just hard to be taken seriously. I'm trying I'm like I'm trying to elevate to, to your stature and our guest stature, right? So now I'm drinking bourbon.
0: I'm envious. The Kentuckian is not drinking bourbon.
2: <laughs> well, uh, I have two of my favorite individuals. Obviously, Cody is one of my favorite individuals, but I have to say that because I have to deal with him every day. But Brandon Lilly, introduce yourself, my friend.
0: Yeah, I'm Brandon Lilly. Uh, probably the claim to fame was I did some, some heavy lifting as a power lifter, and that segued into a relationship with Sornex Exercise Equipment. So been working with them for a few years, Part of my position there is is strength education. The other half is just networking and who I know and the people that, you know, that use our products or potentially could use our products just to educate them on what we do, how we do it. And, you know, try to deliver on every bit of that. And that's how we met. And that's how it led to all this. So, yeah, that's me in a nutshell.
2: And uh, what I love about Brandon, nobody, you know, it's a funny It's a long story, but I will say that if you followed Brandon for any amount of time, you noticed that on his post. Okay, for some reason, the microphone glitched right at this point when Brandon was about to explain what the plus one meant. So just to make sure everyone got what we were trying to say, in that Brandon Lilly, when he posts something, he puts a plus one in most of his posts. And I asked him the question, why the plus one? And I got the full... Detailed backstory to why the plus one and it's an amazing piece of Inspiration if you're looking for something like that the plus one is put a check mark in your W column uh, your win column Put a plus one in that column day after day after day after day here's Brandon explaining the plus one and Apologies for the crappy Wi-Fi and the internet connection busting out on us
0: so the plus one mentality um it, it really stems from probably the lowest point of my life i was i you know i mentioned that i had done some powerlifting i had done very well at that was uh was highly ranked and ended up having a catastrophic bilateral knee injury and the left knee required 19 surgeries and what people don't realize you know even people in the know don't necessarily quantify or realize um, that every time that I was cut open, I was on my back for four weeks. So you do the math on 19 surgeries, you know, you're talking roughly 76 weeks of my life within a four year span was spent on my back, incapable of doing the, the one thing that I was really probably great at in my lifetime. And then also because of that level of, of passion for it and the level of competition and just the time that I spent doing it, it really did become my identity. And on, we're, we're nearing the anniversary—five years. But April twelfth of two thousand sixteen, pretty much come to a, a conclusion that my life, at least, you know, on the track that it was going, was not worth living any longer. So I, uh, I kind of had a flirtation with a with a pistol in my mouth. Was able to, for whatever reason, just keep going back to a few random thoughts that that just seemed to be my grip holds to hold on to and and not really be able to go through with it um and what i decided right there like this this moment of clarity and it's it's probably a little bit more poetic than it was in the moment now but it was if you've made a thousand bad choices a thousand one will dig you out so you know it's just the same if you've taken a thousand steps in that direction if you turn around you'll be back at zero so you need that plus one to get going the right way and i thought the first major decision that i needed to do was to put the pistol down unload that clear my system i'd taken some percocet as well and uh called my dad so i was stacking plus ones already you know that was that was two big ones right there because my dad and i were kind of at odds with some things um just at that time by my selfish doing you know so anyway the idea of this plus one is you know i can tell you that i want a million dollars but if i don't understand how to earn, save and value that first one, the million will never come. Um, Whether that's a relationship or whatever, I don't give myself choices. I look at the goal. And then I find the solution. It's like if you're on a diet, and you go to a restaurant, and you open that menu, there's hundreds and hundreds of choices most times. But if you tell the waiter or waitress what you want, then they cater to what you're going forward in your goal. So I truly believe we don't remain static. I truly feel that each individual has the opportunity with so many things. It's either you're going to take a step forward towards who you want to become and the goals and the dreams that you have, or you're going to do something that takes you further away from that. And the plus one mentality is just to eliminate the distractions and make those forward steps towards whatever it is you're doing. And, you know, June 1st of 2019, so you're talking about some, some three years and two months between the time of taking my pistol out of my mouth to the, to the day that I decided I wanted to be 75 years old because men in my family don't make it to 75. So, you know, it took three years to kind of get the, the, the train stopped and going in the right direction, but you know, the trains rolling hot now. So it's one small decision at a time.
2: No, I love it. I love the plus one mentality. And you told me that story. I remember I was driving in the rain coming back from Texas and, um, you know, that plus one mentality pertains to hunting and you're outdoors and you getting into the outdoors and learning about oh. hunting all the time, right?
0: It's everything. I mean, it's you know, as I mentioned to you prior to, to recording in jujitsu, you know, I was saying there's my understanding of the technique and there's my ability to perform the technique and there was a gap. And then finding those plus one nuggets, you know, I, I went to New York and saw my friend Greg and it was just, you know, if I hadn't gone to New York, if I hadn't taking the time to invest in in greg as a friend you know like these these small things and not really selfish intention, but just knowing that greg had a lot of knowledge knowing that greg had a lot more value than i could tap into via phone call or via you know a, a podcast i went up there and that's those things it's like i've always thought you know the big choice or the big chance was worth taking you know i've always kind of believed that about my life and that's the way it is in in hunting too i mean you know I, I i did everything wrong as a young hunter you know i kind of became the the image of what you see you know rifle in your lap driving down a country road there's a deer boom tags filled um and not that i not that i knock anybody that does that but for me it never felt wholesome it never felt like it was really filling a void and then after my injury um you know i was looking i was kind of picking and drawing at things that I could find inspiration from, dedicate myself to, and really try to become better at. And really the best way for a personality type like me is to go all out, go as, as deep water as I possibly can. You know, I shoot my bow every single day. Uh, I probably clean my bow just for the sake of holding it when I'm not shooting it. Uh, I tighten the screws. I make sure everything is perfect. I, I shoot different angles. I shoot different courses. I mean, it all adds up to this idea of really completing this plus one life for me, which so much of my life has been a taker. And it really does sound strange to talk about taking a life as not being taking. But for me, it taught me how much I actually wasted before. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're looking at a, at a white tail deer that maybe you net, you know, 50 to 75 pounds of meat from, that 50 pounds, when you give it out to your friends in one pound packages or two pound packages, you know, that deer is represented. You don't know the the name of the cow or the lot of the cow or the, the story of the cow when you buy that beef and it's just like there's an endless supply of red in that freezer section. So for me to really actually understand the cycle of life, the feeling of responsibility to myself to do an ethical uh, harvesting of that animal. And then also to understand that in some way, shape or form, it all comes back around and and goes full circle because the parts of me, when I'm gone, you know, will, will become bug food and that'll become something else. And that'll become something else and something else. I mean, it it really is a beautiful completion of the circle for me to come back to a point in my life where something that was somewhat tainted in my own vision now, has been kind of corrected and, and hopefully trying to make right upon by doing things in a better way. And it, it all goes back to the same thing, man, of, of I just want to be the best representation of whatever I'm doing. If that's hunting, I want to be the best ethical law abiding hunter that I can be. If I'm training jujitsu, I am a fool compared to some of these people who have studied it their entire lifetime. So I just want to be a humble student of whatever I'm doing and and that really manifests itself you know, literally as a plus one mentality, because if right. if you never assume that you know it all, you're constantly digging for more.
2: Well, let's dig a little bit. So th- we call this the roundup, right? And the roundup
0: yep. is a, a
2: collection of things that have happened in the outdoor space and the hunting space over the last week. And, um, we sent you a bunch of articles that we've collected over the last week. And, uh, Cody and I have quite the podcast last week, quite the roundup last week, uh, yep. discussing the whole, well, what do you want to start with, Cody? You want to just I, keep I going we where we st- stopped last time? Yeah,
3: Absolutely. I think we get back to the, to the Rinellis R3 discussion um, because it hasn't stopped. Um, and I, I, it's, it's almost, uh, if you want to talk about hunting pop culture, it's what's, dominated hunting discussions um completely for for the last several days on the internet. Um, do we recap it real quick? Matt rinellis Steven rinellis from Meat Eater's Brother, um wrote a post or a, an op-ed piece that Meat Eater then published and it was a uh it was about his personal distrust distrust and distaste. I think both for the R3 movement, um, which again, re- the R3 movement is the movement to recruit new hunters, retain existing hunters, and I never remember the
2: Reactivate.
3: Reactivate, deactivated hunters. Um, and uh, wow, I mean, if nothing else, I'll reiterate that it was a ballsy move for meat eater to publish it um i have not seen i bet i've read zero exaggeration i bet i've read 25 pieces written pieces in response
0: mm-hmm.
3: um and i have not i have found zero understanding zero sympathy and a lot of vitriol um I, 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 has anybody seen a supportive piece of Renella's column? I haven't seen, I've, I've seen absolutely nothing. Um, we, well, no let way. me, let me
0: play devil. Let me play devil's advocate with you here. Okay. We like absolutely. that. We, like that. Well, we
3: Well, we got you.
0: Well, that's the thing about it is, and I, and I want to make very, very clear. This is, this is a tactic that I use on myself to, to kind of check my critical thinking. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I had a professor one time named Phil English and he was like, do you believe what you believe because you've bled for it or because mama told you, you know, and a lot of times, um, I think that we marry ourselves to an idea based on a construct of other ideas that we hold to believe in. And we don't want to go counter those things. But sometimes we need to ask ourselves, just like I've told every time that I've, I've put up a post and recruit and, you know, searching for supporters, you know, it's, uh,
2: Did we just lose him?
0: No, I'm here. I just I got a I got a, a notification that somebody was trying to sign into my account in uh, Zhejiang, China. What? Yeah, no shit. That's how. That's how. That's, how just,
2: that's
0: what happens that's, that's to everyone
3: deep, that gets on our podcast. Is that they get so this, that's
0: how deep this r three runs. They're they're <laughs> tuning in in China. But uh, but anyhow, so. I like to approach every every argument, you know, kinda like a single player chess. I try to play the weight of either side. And to kind of go through the cliff notes of, of what I read of it and understand of it, I think we have to be very, very careful to to misunderstand what he's saying. Exactly, I think. I think that there is a there is an understanding that possibly yes, we do need the R three system, but at the same time, it could be done better, like most things, right? And are we pushing people to the hunting world and just calling that good? Or are we educating young hunters? Are we educating people new to the fold? Or are we just showing hunting to be cool and trendy and, hey, you can get some sponsors and free gears and free bows and this kind of stuff if you're willing to, to take that ride into this, to this journey? I think there's, there's ethics on either side of that conversation. So for me, I, you know, I look at some of this stuff and it, it doesn't go without saying that, that hunting is big business and is big industry. You know, there's millions and billions of dollars that are, that are tied up in this stuff. So at what point does the guy that goes out and really wants to just you know supply food to the table for his family doesn't care if it's a doe doesn't care if it's a trophy buck you know then become the guy who's killing 30 40 animals a year because that's the requirement of his sponsors to do so you know what i mean and i think what happens is a lot of hunters become bad hunters or poor hunters because they try to mimic what they see the most of you know it it is cool to walk out of the woods with this big rack on your shoulders and this kind of stuff. And it's glorified only if successful, you know what I mean? So my argument would be then that I wish it'll never happen, but I do wish that more of the influencer type hunters would talk more about the peripheral good of hunting beyond just the harvest.
2: Brandon, you You don't think that's happened already? You don't think that the the big influences have shifted from what they were five years ago to where they are today?
0: There's shift, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not not sitting here trying to generalize so much to say that it is sweeping one way or the other, but I think when you look at a lot of this stuff, um, you know, I think we have to be very, very careful that the cart doesn't get in front of the horse. You know what I mean? I think... There's certain keywords that I see keep popping up. There's certain phrases that we know get more likes and other things. And these people tend to just sound like recreations of others that are doing it. You know, when I hear, you know, when I talk to Jesse Phillips and I see some of the stuff he's written, there's nobody else out there writing like Jesse. You know, there's nobody out there writing like you or certain other people that are just speaking from the heart. And I think that's where the business creeps in. And I think it shows through. And I think people start to learn and mimic that, hey, if I say these things beyond blessed, you know, reverence and all these kind of things, those are keywords, hot words that people just kind of navigate and say, oh, that's a good feeling. You know, I want to hear people like Lydia Smith who tell it seemingly from the heart. You know, there's more to, I've never just looked at her as a hunter. I've looked at her as an outdoors person you know, like somebody who is all encompassing with it. And that doesn't make her more valuable or less valuable than someone that just hunts. But I feel like she's a steward of the outdoors. Right. And I think that before these companies glamorize and and prop up some of these individuals, um, I think that there should be more of that. Like, I think there should be general stewardship for the outdoors. And again, that's just me and my Andy Griffiths kind of view on things. But, I do think I, that, I, I do think that there is some validity to what he is saying in the fact that I don't know that it, I would outright deny it, but I would also say we could do a hell of a lot better.
3: I agree. I agree 100 percent on that. In my mind, if I had to bullet point Matt Ranellis' original column, to be honest, I think I agreed with both things, he said. One of them I don't think should be a priority. One was what you said, that there's flaws in the system, whether it's R3 or the hunting industry or social media and the outdoors, there's flaws. He was saying that it, it can be done better. There's a better way. Sure. He also, though, had the stones to outright say he gets frustrated about how many people there are in the woods at his spots, right? Now, I said, I agree with that. I I live, I said this last time I live, I can literally throw a baseball into the San Isabel National Forest, 220,000 acres. Um, I still bump into people over there and I think, damn, what do I got to do to get away? But at the same time, that's this, I think that's the selfish part of it. That, and then I think he made a genuine mistake when he said we should drop these programs and go back to it just being your family and your inner circle that brings you into hunting. That's the part that really, really backfired on him, especially with the hunters of color who came out and said, look, we, we want to be a part of this, but our families don't. So are you saying we should stay out? Which is in no way what Ranellis was saying. It was a totally unfair accusation, in my opinion. But that's yeah. what bought him the most amount of flack was like, it kind of came across as if your dad and grandpa don't hunt, stay out of my woods kind of thing a yeah. little bit. He, he did kind of say those things.
0: Yeah, the, I mean, the tone of it can be, can be interpreted in a, a multitude of different ways. But I'll also say this, too. Maybe that's throwing stones at, at a little bit of the downfall of the structure of, of, of the United States of America as it is. Maybe we should put a little pressure on our dads, to, you know, to be involved with our kids a little bit more. And maybe that means, hey, we would be more inclined to hunt and so on and so forth. So maybe it's a deeper problem than just the one aspect of, you know, doing it with your family. Maybe the problem is is that we got to too big for our britches so to say here in the united states that we forgot how important hunting was and maybe we should have done a better job there and that's that's a wholly different argument but i think i think there's a familial aspect that can be retained from that statement if you drop the thought of blood family okay i think if you take people who are brothers or brethren or kin um you know through the woods i think that's a lot more that that speaks a lot more to me i'll say to think about being able to spit like like my guys out in oklahoma you know mike hart and those guys every year that 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 hunt in oklahoma has a much different feel because the stories get a year older the bonds get a little bit deeper and so on and we talk about people that can come into the fold and so so on and so forth and i think if we could all just remember that like hey this is not just about going out to Oklahoma and getting the biggest deer or getting the biggest hog. It is about the stories and the time spent and the bond shared and to bring somebody into that fold. And maybe again, you know, maybe I'm romanticizing what I want to take from the ideas that he put forth, but I could definitely see that. But then again, that leaves people, like you said, people of color who don't have that strong heritage as that, being available or somebody who's completely on their own. Maybe they grew up with very, very, you know, liberal, non-hunting parents. And they think I want to get into this for myself, but that's a pretty deep water to get into the Western hunting by yourself alone, you know? And it's like, then there's somebody's responsibility to help this person. Mm-hmm. That could be the, ba- the foundation of that bond and that brotherhood and that family st- type stuff. And I think it should almost be treasured in such a way that we celebrate this information. Like, It's just like martial arts, you know, you can't, you can't master martial arts from a book. You can't master it from watching videos, but it is also not open to everyone. You have to be a willing participant. You have to be someone who is excited and engaging and continues this journey. And it seems like the more willing you are to go into the journey, the more willing people are to help you. I could see that correlating very easily to hunting. And if you think about it from start to finish, you know, this is a big stretch, but hunting in and of itself is a martial art. There is a discipline to it. There is a meditation to it. There is an execution of skill to it. So if we look at it from that approach, then maybe his statement makes a lot more sense. Non-blood family, martial art approach to the, to the art of hunting, not just the sport of hunting.
2: So, yeah, Nella, I like that. So Steve put a, um, a response out last, uh, last Wednesday, the 31st, and – it was a very good op-ed cody you read it i read it um i think he covered all the bases you know what i loved about the way that he started is he he almost he took the blame on to himself right he talked a little a lot about i even started i recently caused a stir he took the blame on himself right and he explained he said look he's my brother we talk about this kind of stuff all the time we disagree all the time we are so passionate about these things i'm passionate about exposing hunting to the world through social media he's passionate about wildlife conservation and essentially keeping everything private you know cool. so it was this he was explaining this dichotomy between himself and his brother almost as a dichotomy of the community that is out there to say, yeah, look, there's people that are like this and there's people that are like this and it's okay for you guys to disagree. It's okay for me and my brother to disagree. But there's certain things that we messed up on, you know, that this wasn't a broad generalization. It may come across as a broad generalization. It wasn't. It was his opinion. I agree with some of his things, not all of them. Sure. Meat Eater does not agree yeah, I, with I, all of it kind of deal, right? Yeah. What Cody?
3: I think... First and foremost, not that he's going to watch our podcast. I think I owed Steve Rennell a, a, a slight apology because literally while we were taping the podcast, I got a text notification that, Ren, that Steve had responded to Matt's op-ed. Then we all tried to scan it while at the same time continuing to do a podcast. I made some assumptions and I kind of, the stuff that I scanned looked like generic, see why, cu- cover your ass kind of responses. Not a fair assessment of Ranella's risk of Steve's response at all. Um, it was sure. a really quality response. Um, I made some assumptions also that I literally was trying to figure out why Meat Eater published this. Were they clickbaiting? Were they what were they doing? Right. Um, and some of that's fed by the whole green decoy churning group bullshit that floats around Meat Eater. But when you take Matt's op, Ed. And then Meat Eater follows it with Steve's response. Super props to those guys. That was exactly how that whole thing should have been handled, in my opinion. And I'm I'm a I'm a Steven Ranella fan. Um, you know, whatever. There's Instagram accounts that are gonna cut the audio clip of me saying that and and, and come after me for it. But I, I'm I'm a Steven Rinella fan. I think that dude has done things to raise the intellectual perceptions of hunters um, that very few other celebrities of that caliber have done. Um, And his response to the rebuttals to his brother's op-ed were spot on, um, where like Robbie said, he took some blame for some things. He admitted that they argue, I, I think that he said something to the effect of him and his brother have been in hellacious fights over this entire discussion. Yeah. We get um, into some nasty was, fights about the shit. Yeah, well, but, but exactly. That's, that's
0: good. That's good. Right. You know, I mean, right. excellent. I, I
3: just, and kudos that he did then went ahead and published it. Right. That he published sure. something he disagreed with.
0: But, but you know what? I mean, without, you know, without pandering to one side or the other, What I will say is I will applaud any front that is willing to post counter information to typically what they share, because I think that that gives, we can find ourselves very, very quickly in a vacuum, especially on social media with an algorithm, tailoring you only to like-minded individuals. So I would, I would almost challenge if I could look him in the face and and respectfully say, Mr. Ronella, Steve, I really challenge you to continue putting out challenging information critical thought provoking information because if you're only stuck in that vacuum of hunting is awesome hunting is great hunting is the best thing in the world and everybody should do it you start to lose sight of what the the downfall could be if everybody picked up a rifle this season and was successful you know what I mean is and I'm just I'm speaking wide-ranging bookends there but I think we need more of that in this country that's something that I talk about frequently on the podcast and here's where I'll respect his brother for writing the article i openly admit in every single podcast that i'm in i haven't said it yet but i'm about to say it that i will say something that i disagree with once it leaves my mouth because i am hearing it out loud for the first time you know and sometimes when you say things out loud you catch yourself and like man that does sound like a bonehead thing to say or like a piece of shit thing to say the challenge for writing something and publishing something and then having an audience like meat eater is it doesn't give that automatic chance to have a retort. Like if I say something that's just totally out of line, totally insensitive and totally wrong, and you call me on it, I could be like, well, I see what you're saying there. Yeah, you're right, man. I'm sorry that I shouldn't have approached it that way. And it's over. But in an article, it's got time to grow legs. It's got time to be chopped up and spliced up mm-hmm. in print and then exacerbated upon and really devilized, if you want to call it that, without looking at the full structure of the of the article and trying to understand it from somebody who loves the outdoors, what they're trying to say. You know what I mean? I look at it in some sense, again, this is a person's protest. You know what I mean? And, and it should be viewed for what it is. It's a person who is highly educated, who is highly immersed in the culture of, of hunting as an individual, and then also peripheral to his brother's, you know, navigation of the industry. I think if we're talking about a family, maybe short of Jim Shockey, you know, and, and those types, Fred Bear types, I mean, you've got to throw Ranella in there as pretty much the one of the faces on Mount Rushmore of voices for, you know, what I would like to say, ethical hunting, you know, and I would include his brother in that statement. So those type of people really need to keep challenging those fronts. Like, Steve, how far do you really believe this line? And vice versa, you know, push each other to figure out where the lines are. And then in the process, guess what? Maybe they educate some of their viewers on different fronts. Maybe not every hunter believes exactly the t- the party line, and there there are times where, hey, you would shoot that bull, I'm not going to, because of something they learned throughout the discourse. I think it's important. I think it's. I don't necessarily have to agree with it to say that I think it is important.
2: I agree, hundred percent. I think I think we would agree at Blood right? You know this better than anybody. I think we're sure. we're okay with with the not being the status quo and challenging the status quo?
0: Well, if we, if we don't challenge hunters to do better and if we don't challenge ourselves to do better, that is where anti-hunting regulation will come in because it will be photograph after photograph or article after article of misuse of the land and the, the, the bastardization of, of hunting as a culture into something else. So we have to be the, the you know, the sheepdogs of all of this. If you care about hunting, if you care about these animals, if you care about the environment and if you care about your rights as an American, you better have your shit together yourself and walk that line and, and do so proudly. I mean, it's not such a bad thing to, to abide by the rules. You know, sometimes the animal can get away.
2: Couldn't agree more. All right. We done with Ranella.
3: I think so. I think we covered it. It had to be covered.
2: Okay. I'm going to choose the next topic. And I want to talk. I think, Cody, you put this link in here. The TikToker destroys myth that trophy hunting helps communities. One, this guy, is, is, is is he a hunter or is he against hunting?
3: I went to his TikTok today. No,
2: you didn't.
3: I did. 100%. And I can tell you, it was some of the, it was about the funnest 45 minutes I had today.
2: <laughs> um, you spent 45 minutes on it. Oh, I see. He's got C. That was the
3: exaggeration for effect, but it really does seem like he takes the approach of I'm a hunter. Maybe I don't want to make any assumptions, um, but trophy hunting with it, with a complete concentration on africa in these statements um is the african is all uh, um i don't know you would be asking me to judge an accent and you know that i'm still not sure i'm convinced that sometimes you have a new zealand accent so i don't know i am not i'm not good at that game right um but he uh here's the here's the joke of the whole thing It's not him. He regurgitated some headlines, literally. That's all he did. You can read the article. He literally made statements like, trophy hunting is not good. Like that was his refutement. Refutement? Is that a word? It is now. I don't think so. Refutal? Rebuttal? That was his argument against trophy hunting was he just like regurgitated some headlines. The joke of this thing is not him. The joke of this thing is that a news source then printed that he had refuted the value. I mean, this would be very similar if some 11-year-old got on their TikTok and said trophy hunting is bad. And then for some reason, a worldwide news source picked that up with a headline TikToker refutes the value of trophy hunting in the world. No, no. I mean, TikToker destroys
2: myth. Destroys that trophy goes- hunting Els- helps local communities. He didn't
3: right, he not, didn't do anything but just regurgitate headlines. That's all he did in his TikTok.
0: But what you're what you're reading in that headline, if you want to believe the narrative of, you know, that there is a big brother at play, um, they're empowering other TikTokers to take stands to use their to use their their voice and it it seems like if you want to you know manipulate the future's outlook you would mean that you would focus on a a child-based app like TikTok that is really designed for what teens and young 20s and pretty you know people that are way more into the internet than I am but nevertheless I think it's like it's one of those things it's those subtle nudges it's like hey if that TikToker can get recognition for taking a stand and saying something We don't become activists where it matters. We become activists through this medium that just gets attention and it goes away. I don't really give credence to much of those things. I mean, I I just, I know they're real and I know they're tangible, but I don't think very many sensible people look at those things and say, ah, you know, this trumps uh, an article from the Smithsonian or NPR or something like that. You know what I mean? I I just think that it's as nonsensical as TikToker. You know, as soon as I see that, I pretty much realize it's garbage no matter what.
3: No, I'm a, I'm 100 with you, except the fact that th- that's what I'm saying. I don't think he's a le- I don't think there's any legitimacy in him. It's sure. a worldwide news source adopting the headline: sure. TikToker destroys myth that trophy hunt. You know that that's that's the problem, right? It is. Yeah. He, I mean, it, that's the problem. I mean, if if the New York Times comes out and says person a destroys the myth of the value of trophy hunting in that headline it's destroyed the value of trophy hunting is gone right and it's 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 this news source giving that credit and, and hopefully a gigantic percentage of us realize that that's clickbait so that you go and so that their ads are presented to you while you're scanning through this thing um but that's the that's what boggled my mind. Not that this that this kid did this, you know. Sure, sure. But that another source latched onto it and said that he destroyed the myths of the value of tr- I'm, I keep screwing it up, but something no, but paraphrasing.
0: I think that's I think that's valid because I, I think that's a that's a very dangerous occurrence in our in our modern day and age, and we're seeing it a lot. You know, like the misuse of words, defund the police doesn't actually mean defund, it just means reallocate. You know what I mean? But the average person that I talked to that was saying defund the police thought it meant take all the money away from the police. But the side that was trying to look at it from the actual, you know, inception of what would happen would be reallocation. And those are two vastly different things. If they said, you know, TikToker takes jab at the hunting is- industry, I don't think you or I or, or Robbie would be talking about it. But it is the nature of these, you know, hyperbolic words to get people just looking at things in a way of like, everything has to be the most, everything has to be to the extreme. Everything has to be at this, you know, we take it all to 11 kind of level, you know, and it's just a, it's a problem within our culture. And I think you're exactly right is that the extremism is where you're going to garner new extremists. You know, if, if you say that, trophy hunting is destroyed well then you have people that you know possibly young old whoever can form their thought process to the idea that you know trophy hunting is ultimately destroyed this guy you know he crushed it whatever and they adopt that side too because you know if you if you read any jordan peterson people like to be winners they don't want to they don't want to root for the losing side so it's a subtle subtle way that people might just fall onto that train thinking you know we have to use the right language. We have to. It's important.
2: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's do one more. Wait, and talking about can I say go, real quick. Yeah, of course. Go ahead. Finish up.
3: Like this is my first experience actually meeting Brandon. I mean his involvement with Blood Origins, but in his story today, he posted Coulter Wall singing. And then he just referenced Jordan Peterson. So pretty much, you can't screw it up. I'm a giant fan, so I.
0: Can't <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. <laughs>
2: All right, stop stroking his ego. Stop stroking his.
3: Ego. No, I'm just saying. I, I'm. What I'm saying is, prior to that, I hadn't made a decision if I like him or not. Now he's one of my favorites.
0: Thanks, man.
2: Okay, you guys done kissing and cuddling, <laughs> romancing. Uh-huh. So, talking about uh, language, let's finish up with this one um did you know anything about snow leopards brandon lily
0: i do know a thing or two about snow leopards
2: what do you know about snow leopards
0: i know they're extremely rare i know they're extremely beautiful i know that uh they they made a cameo appearance on tiger king uh, i've seen quite a few shots in the wild of them i, I know that they're very 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 elusive um if to even see one is probably along the lines of seeing something like, uh, uh, uh what's the thing that, uh,
2: don't say a tiger because there's lots of, no, no no no, 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 it's,
0: uh, maybe it's a, was it a badger? No, wasn't a badger. What is the really, really rare animal that Aaron Snyder?
1: There yeah, you go. Thank
0: you. Yeah. I was new, I knew it was a big 10 mascot. I couldn't remember which one it was right. <laughs> Wisconsin. Or, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just extremely rare. So, a very like peripheral knowledge base around them but i think they're beautiful I uh, i love i love them but the i was talking to a guy who's number two uh pound for pound uh, jiu-jitsu artist and his name is craig jones and he, had, he traditionally wears uh leopard pants or leopard uh, spats and anyhow he was joking about making some snow leopard ones and he was over in the middle east or Tajikistan or somewhere and uh and said you know we're going to get an actual snow leopard like he's kind of a comedian dude i thought people were going to cut his throat like when he was joking about that people would just <laughs> lost their shit so it's been a it's been a hot topic issue this week because i spoke to him so yeah. yeah i know a little bit about snow leopards
2: well they're certainly making a, a comeback because their prey base is making a comeback and their prey base you know bark oars and Urial sheeps and all those kinds of things that live in those Alpine environments are coming back because of hunting. Uh, sure. A lot of people know about that. But did you know that snow leopards are arrogant bastards? Wouldn't you be? I would. It was a, <laughs> you know, it was quite, you know, when they look as the, as these researchers from Carnegie Mellon university figured out, um, you know, they've got smallish heads, they have got large black spots uh, and so, you know, they look at themselves and honestly, in the, in the article it says, honestly, just look at a picture of one sometime you'd tell by their eyes, they think
0: they're hot shit. Yeah. I could, I could probably say that.
3: Little did people know we were going to bring the onion into the roundup.
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, it was such a good article. Study finds snow leopards lead solitary lifestyle because they're arrogant bastards who think they're better than everyone else. Pretty bonfire. I love,
3: I love the Onion. I love that there's a group of people that sit around and blatantly make shit up to make me laugh. I think that's. Have the you seen the Babylon Bee? Oh, it's a, yeah, yeah, exactly, absolutely, yeah, yeah. No, I get notifications <laughs> regularly from Babylon Bee. I think those those are my favorite people on the internet. Right there is people that sit around and think, how can I make somebody laugh by making some shit up that's outrageous. And, and everybody's
0: on the table. There is no holds barred. They go against everybody.
3: Exactly. <laughs> Especially with Babylon. Babylon will take on anybody.
0: Yeah, that's the only way that you can really win at comedy, though. You can't, you can't hide away or play favorites.
2: Well, I think that's it for the roundup today. Uh, Brandon, Lily, I know you've been patient with us in the vehicle. Whilst we're drinking bourbon, you're drinking 7-Up. Any last uh, words?
0: Sorry. No, I mean... I guess I would just say to anybody that's out there hunting along with the plus one mindset, I don't want to preach to anybody. I just know that constant like relentless self-assessment is the best way that I've found my, myself forward. And that has really carried over into my hunting. It's why I hunt the way that I hunt now. Not, I don't view myself as better than or, or equal to or less than anyone. I just view it. This is my journey but constantly take stock of who you are and what you're doing and why you're doing, it. you know, is this satisfying you or is this satisfying what others are satisfied by? Um, really take ownership of it and do the best you can, you know?
2: Well said. Well said. Cody Hotsmith, any last cuddles for Brandon?
3: <laughs> you're a jackass, Robbie. <laughs> no, I, uh, it, it was a great, it was a great conversation. I like these roundups and I like uh, bringing someone else in to help me deal with you.
2: <laughs> you you really wanted to say and i really like brandon but that's okay you have to figure out what not to say i do like
3: brandon I, it, he put coulter wall singing a chris christopherson song in his story today i don't care what else there is to know about the guy Who's he's, Chris he's, christopherson?
0: He's pot. That, that's good. oh come on man
3: did you say who is chris christopherson yeah we'll, we'll leave that uh, for the next round you might be deported
0: the only okay. the only I'm thing back. I can say in fairness, and again, I'll, put, I'll I'll say this in fairness, he would have to have come here and fully immersed himself in American culture in a way, because Robbie, how long have you been in the United States
2: since two thousand three?
0: Okay, so since two thousand three, I would say there has single handedly been somewhat of a a removal of that outlaw country. You know what uh, I mean? There's so been,
3: there's been no no listen. I know there's, there's no
0: rejuvenation but I'm saying he, on the mainstream. So if he came over here
3: two, there's been two Highwaymen albums released. Robbie, have you heard of Janis Joplin?
2: I have heard of her name. I don't know if I've heard of any of her songs, listened to any of her songs.
0: Then, she, then he's not going to know Chris Christopherson. If oh he doesn't know God. Janis Joplin,
2: Janis Joplin the greatest
3: female rocker of all time has no career that we've never heard of her if it's not for Chris Christopherson. Yeah. Well, anyway, I appreciate you uh, I just,
0: uh, highly
2: Educating me. Maybe the next roundup you can educate me about real music. Free Britney. <laughs>
0: <later>. Free Britney. <laughs> free Britney.
2: Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.